Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, NFL fans? Welcome back to another episode of the NFL Whip Around. I am Jeff Hartman, joined by Coach KT Smith. Coach, what's going on? Hey, Jeff. Glad to be with you again, man. Another another yeah. crazy week in the NFL. They certainly are, are giving us plenty to talk about. They are. Before we get there, you know, we're in December now. I'm a huge Christmas guy. Are you a Christmas movie guy? Is, is that is that your cup of tea? I, I don't see you as a Christmas movie guy. I don't know why. No. I mean, I have two small kids, so I I am half I have to be a Christmas movie guy. As a matter of fact, as I was walking up the stairs to come to come do this, the the old cartoon Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer from like 1962 yes. or whatever it was was on, and yeah. uh, and my wow. daughter was all into it. So there you yeah. go, that's great. So yeah, yeah, I don't I, without the kids, I bet you're just like a Grinch. I, I don't know why, I bet you're just like ah humbug, forget this nonsense. Not man, I'm a I'm a nostalgic softy at heart, man. You know. Oh like, well, good. Hey, that's, I, I was out in the do. yard putting up all the lights uh, on Saturday. Oh, and so you do everything. some exterior illumination, do you? Huh? I am about as good at it, at it as Clark Griswold. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm about to I'm going to share my video. I I do go all out. I am like Clark Griswold, the finished product. So I'm going to share my uh, I'll just share my video with uh on Twitter. I'll tag you in it so you can see what Hartman's okay, did this year for sure. But let's uh, get to it. the NFL. Let's get the NFL talk. Here we go. The San Francisco 49ers. They go to Philly. And this game was close early on, and then they just ran away with it. And so everyone's kind of talking rematch in the NFC Championship team. I'm sorry, NFC Championship game. Do you see it that way? Let's start there. 
because there are other teams, the NFC that could find, find their way into the mix, the Dallas Cowboys, the Detroit lions, just to name two. Uh, what do you think? Is this destiny to have another Philly San Francisco game in the NFC championship game? I mean, if I were putting my money on it, I would say that that's where we're headed. I, I mean, I, I know Dallas is playing great football, but I'm not going to be a Dallas believer until I see what they do in that stretch that they've got the last three weeks of the year. I think the last sure. three weeks they play, they play uh, Philly and and Buffalo, Miami, something like that. I, I can't remember who it is, but it's a, it's a nasty stretch. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, and then, you know, Detroit, same deal. I mean, the Lions haven't won a playoff game since 1991. They're a great story. They're playing really well. But when you haven't won a playoff game in over 30 years, you're on a you're on kind of a prove-it deal. Right. So, I mean, Philly and San Francisco, they've proven it. So I, I, I see that for sure right now as being uh, the, the crash course, no doubt. So is there a – so let's look at the two teams that played, and 49ers obviously come out victorious. Is there a team that benefits from this game either way? Like, could the Philadelphia Eagles somehow, some way benefit from getting their butts kicked in front of their home crowd uh, last Sunday? Well, I, they're definitely trying to talk themselves into it right now. There was a whole lot of talk at, at my workplace today uh, among Eagles fans of, hey, no, this is a good thing because San Francisco <laughs> might have to come back here in January. And, you know, it's hard to beat a team twice in the same place and blah, blah, blah. But was, I, Pez I think one of the, was Pez one of those guys? <laughs> Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent, right? Pez, Brock Purdy is now the the uh, uh, odds-on favorite right now to win win the MVP, and Pez is still like he's a fraud. He's a fraud. <laughs> uh, so he's going to go down with that particular ship. But sure. um, you know, I, I yeah, the Eagles fans right now for sure are are telling them that, and there there's some truth to that, no doubt. You and I remember Steeler fans, right? I mean, I, I bet you remember this 2005, the Steelers. Now, this is a little bit different because they were on the road, but they go out to Indianapolis on a Monday night football game late in the season and just get torn up by Peyton Manning and the Colts. And then they got to go back to Indy, you know, a month later in the playoffs and they and they knock them off and route to the Super Bowl. I mean, you learn a lot from those those situations. I think what the Eagles learned on Sunday was that they got to outscore teams. I mean, their defense is just not uh, – you know, it's not what the, the unit was a year ago. They're, they've got some holes, and they can't – like, you know, when Philadelphia went down the field, can dominated the first quarter but only came away with two field goals, they were in trouble. They, they've they got to score touchdowns. So I think the Eagles uh, have been masking some things with, with some of their late comebacks, et cetera, and, and they got exposed a little bit. And I think that can benefit them. Would you feel the same way if the rematch was in California and not in Philly? No, no, I think that, San Francisco, that, San Francisco can get that number one seed. That is still a very realistic option. If you look at their schedules. Yeah. Cause Philly's got to go play in Dallas next weekend yeah. and they lose that. And they're they, now they have the same, same record as San Francisco. And San now, I don't know how it works with the three-way tiebreakers. Cause then you bring Detroit in and uh, having yeah. the same record and it gets a little more complicated, but I, if I were the Eagles, no, I certainly would not want to go out to San Francisco to play there. Uh, I think that the 49ers just have a lot of, lot going for them right now. They've gotten healthy. They've gotten through that stretch where they lost three games in a row. Uh, I don't know if you saw any of that game yesterday. Man, they looked fantastic. Would you say that San Fran, in, in the short sample size, the short time period that we've had, is the best non-divisional rivalry right now in the NFL? Because these two fan bases, these two teams have been chirping since the NFC Championship game last year 
if we would have had Brock Purdy, we would have been in the Super Bowl, and it just has gone on and on and on. I was actually shocked that San Francisco went in and did what they did to Philly in their own house in front of their fans, and they did it with some swagger. Like That was the thing that got me. I mean, they didn't just go in and win. You saw Debo Samuel. You saw all these guys going up to the fans saying like, hey, we're sticking it to you right in your face in your stadium. What do you think about that? Best rivalry, non-divisional coach? It's a great rivalry for sure. And I think the dislike is genuine. I, I, I believe that those teams are not posturing right now. Even <laughs> even when the when the sideline security guard gets thrown out, <laughs> you know, there's some there's some legit beef happening right Don there. Don Juan on the sideline gets kicked out of the game. <laughs> I'm telling you, that guy will be a Philly legend. That dude will not have to buy a <laughs> beer or a cheesesteak in that town for a long time. That's but, hysterical. But I will say this, man. If if you uh the, the Niners have been had been pointing to that game, you're right, for almost a full calendar year. And they had that thing circled, and they had all their talking points lined up, and then they went there and they backed it all up. And it was really impressive. But to have to do it again, you know, a month from now, six weeks from now, whatever, um, is, is going to be a challenge if, if it comes to that. I, again, with what Philadelphia learned, the information Philadelphia got from that ball game, uh, and then San Francisco putting so much energy – into that win that that win meant a lot for them i just think it'll be much more challenging the second time around so so if there's a team that benefits from this it may be philly if they get that game back in philadelphia see i would yeah i could argue the other side of the coin and say the team that benefited the most was now that the san francisco 49ers have injected themselves back into the discussion for that number one seed getting the first round by hosting throughout the playoffs as long as they're in it and making philly come across the country uh, it's it's going to be a, a race to the finish between these top four teams in the NFC. It's going to be really exciting to see how that plays out. But let's go to the AFC for a second. For our second topic, let's talk about the AFC. It seems to be a log jam at the top. You have Miami, you have Baltimore, and then you have the Chiefs that are falling off. The Jaguars play on Monday Night Football, and then after those teams, it's literally like a, a it's a crapshoot of crap is what it is. It's a bunch <laughs> of crappy teams that are all right around the same record. You've got Cleveland. They suck. Pittsburgh sucks right now. They have no quarterback. And you've got a bunch of six and six teams that are just kind of hanging around. You've got the, the Indianapolis Colts, Minshew Mania. You've got, uh, you know, you talk about the Houston Texans who just are kind of up and down with the rookie quarterback and C.J. Stroud. I don't know what you think about this AFC. But if you were to pick a team to represent the conference in the Super Bowl right now, who would it be? Well, the last time we had this conversation was about four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I believe you and I both said that we thought the Cincinnati Bengals might be might be the, the best team in the AFC <laughs> and the team well, most yeah. likely to represent them in the Super Bowl. And they're not even in the playoff conversation at this point. Well, you lose so, your all-pro quarterback, that matters. It is true. That is true. <laughs> and, but, you know, that could happen to anybody. I mean, a week ago, Miami was the number four seed. Right now, they're the number one seed. It just doesn't feel as though anybody in that AFC right now uh, is, is on the level that Philadelphia and San Francisco are in the NFC because the Dolphins, while they're playing great football, I, I want to see them do it against uh, an elite team. I, I mean, they've they've been beating up on bottom feeders. They trounced Washington, who's packed it in on, on Sunday. And uh, but until they do it against a good football team, there's going to be questions about them. Uh, I mean, the Ravens. They they I think 
I think if to answer your question, if I had to put money on anybody, I'd, right now I'd put it on the Ravens, but they oh. can't escape the injury bug. I know that makes you a little sick to your stomach <laughs> there, but uh, they, you know, they they just, I mean, they they seem to have a new significant injury just about every week. Kansas City can't get their offense together. I mean, they're off. They're averaging 19 points a game over the last six weeks. That's that is so un Kansas City like. Um, and I don't know if anybody really totally buys Jacksonville just yet. So it's it's hard to make a case for any of those teams. Yeah, the AFC, it, it, it just like the NFC, very top-heavy. Uh, the most battle-tested team, you want to talk about battle-tested as in they played good teams, they've beaten good teams. You have to say the Ravens. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit when I said that. <laughs> but, yeah, you have to take the Ravens. I mean, they they blew the doors off the Detroit Lions, who's considered an NFC powerhouse in their own building. Now they're on a bye week and they're going to come off the off that and they're going to play the Rams, who are a hot team all of a sudden. And Matthew Stafford, they're playing better football. Kansas City is always going to be Kansas City. It's going to be a tough out. I agree with you about Miami, though. By the way, Miami's got to they have to beat a team that is considered a legitimate contender for me to start really buying in to them as contenders. I think they're capable. They just haven't done it yet. And so, I mean, they have some tough games coming up. They're going to have opportunities. I know they have Dallas still on their schedule. They have Buffalo again still on their schedule. So they have some some tough games coming up. But the AFC, outside of, you know, you look at the records and you look at the teams that are vying for a playoff spot, it is pretty wide open. But I, I do often look at the NFC and AFC very similar in the fact that we talked about this before, Coach. There's, there's that top tier. There's that creme de la creme, the cream of the crop. And then there is just a whole bunch of other stuff, and then some bottom feeders. Do you think in the AFC or the NFC, are any of those teams that are the other stuff, could they actually contend and actually make some noise in the playoffs? I think there have been some teams that started the season poorly that have pulled themselves up to respectability. You know, like Denver, uh, they had that bad 0-3 start, and, and they're 6-6, six and six, could have been 7-5, and five, lost that yeah. heartbreaker to the Texans. Uh, the Rams have kind of come back from the dead to to get themselves into playoff contention. Um, Green Bay, similarly, right? I mean, they're now back in the conversation after that big yep. win over, over Kansas City. I mean, you look at the standings. I mean, just there's a lot of six, like six and six teams at the moment. Minnesota, Green Bay, Atlanta, the Rams, Seattle, Denver. I mean, it's just a, a ton of mediocrity. Buffalo. I mean, some of those teams we expected to be better. Many of those teams are, for whatever reason, sort of like trending towards the middle and they can all beat each other on any given week. So, yeah, it's just sort of, a, a, you know, a small group of, of really good teams at the top, uh, a small group of really awful teams at the bottom, and then a big blender of mediocrity in the middle. Yeah, or crap, as I call it. So let's <laughs> let's say, OK, you got to you got to pick one. Who's your AFC representative in the Super Bowl? We did it with the Bengals a couple of weeks ago. Put the kiss of death on someone else. Please say Baltimore. Go ahead. Baltimore. Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> kiss of death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I agree with that 100%. <laughs> all right. Let's let's talk a little NFC, AFC right now. And this is always something I've, I've been ever since I was a little kid. And I remember my parents got me the NFL sheets and matching curtain set, which had every team on it. And it had the NFC and the AFC logo. And I used to stare at that. And I used to say, which... Which conference is better? Which is better? Of course, I always thought the AFC because the Steelers were in the AFC. But I've always been obsessed with this AFC versus NFC. And I don't know if it's the culminating event that is the Super Bowl. Maybe. I don't know. But the NFC, NFC teams won four or five interconference games on Sunday. 
and they lead the AFC 31 to 29 in head-to-head matchups this season. Do you think that the NFC is better right now? Well, it's, it's interesting because if you think back to the beginning of the year, all everybody talked about was how deep the AFC was. The, right. All these great quarterbacks in the AFC, the, you know, this laundry list of great quarterbacks, and the quarterbacks in the NFC all stunk, and the AFC was going to be a much better conference. And I don't. that's not the case. I, I still think the AFC is slightly better, but only because this is going to be terrible grammar. They have less worse teams. In the, in the AFC, you know, like like in the AFC, the, there's really only one awful team, and and that's the Patriots. And oh my God, I, is it is it does it sound weird and also fabulous to say it's that? Awesome, you know? it's <laughs> you know, freaking like, awesome, right? I mean, there's some teams that aren't aren't very good. Tennessee's not very good, but they're not awful. But I think in the NFC, I, I think Washington right now is awful. Carolina is awful. I think Arizona, even though, oh, my God, they, they humiliated the Steelers on Sunday. They're a bad, bad football team. And then you've got some teams uh, in, in the NFC that, you know, like the Giants that are, that are just barely keeping their head above awful. So I think, I, you know, I don't think that that's a way to necessarily, you know, compare the two. But it feels like overall the AFC is slightly better. I think the NFC is worse at the bottom, but I think the NFC is better at the top. Shout out Tommy DeVito for keeping the Giants above awful. <laughs> yeah, that's because uh, that's because Brian Dable is afraid he's going to get whacked if he doesn't <laughs> if he doesn't play. Him. Okay, yeah, no, I agree with you. And it's it's so funny that the Carolina Panthers have actually the first team eliminated from playoff contention. Like that's official. Like they are eliminated from the postseason. Uh, not that there was any doubt about it, but they are the first official team to be. Uh, having that little X on the, uh, when you look at the standings, it says eliminated. I kind of agree with you. And and really this is so tough. The NFL will look at this and say 31 to 29. Like that's perfect parity between the conferences. That's exactly what they want. I'll look at this and think, well, again, it's, it's the top of the, the top tiers are the, are the strength of the conferences. And then after that, I just feel is just is, is mediocre at best. That's the thing. It's at best. It's not like, oh, wow, like these teams are so great and they're just killing each other. No, not to me. Not to me at all. And so even though the AFC might have more teams like Tennessee that are, you know, just above good, they're not good. They're not they're not a playoff team. And it's just I don't know. Again, if you're just taking the elite teams, you have to take the NFC right now. How could you not? How could you not take after watching San Francisco beat a 10 and 1 Philadelphia Eagles team on the road watching Dallas do what they do almost on a weekly basis when they're not playing a team like San Francisco or Philadelphia Uh, watching Detroit even though they almost let the Saints back into the game on Sunday they still came out and scored 21 first quarter points like that's a that's a good football team they're putting it together as they go I, I don't know this is weird sadly I guess then you look at those I just named those teams then you have the NFC South which is a six and six led division. I think with Atlanta is Atlanta that's six and yeah. six and leading yeah, the division. First now. It's their turn to be in first. They're going to host a home game. One of those teams is going to host a, a home playoff game. That is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and they could win it. I mean, you think back to like, like uh, Seattle back in, remember the beast yep. quake game, the Marshawn Lentz game knocked off an 11 and five New Orleans team. I think Seattle was seven and nine and you get that game at home and you just, you never know. So that'll be yep. fascinating to watch. Absolutely, but I don't think we'll know the NFC versus AFC anytime soon. We'll probably won't be settled till the Super Bowl. Uh, it's going to be something to keep tabs on. Let's talk about a position, a position that 
maybe doesn't get the love that it should outside of the big names as we're talking about the tight ends. Uh, tight ends around the league are just absolutely having tremendous seasons. Sam Laporta of Detroit, nine catches for 140 yards on Sunday. The week prior, Pat Fryermuth of Pittsburgh went off from us the exact same stat line. Trey McBride went off against Pittsburgh, eight for 89. It was like a one-man passing game for the uh, Cardinals. TJ Hawkinson's been great. Travis Kelsey's a household name. Thank you, Taylor Swift. Why do you think we're seeing such production from the tight end position? Yeah, it really is an amazing uh, run now with the tight ends. And I think there's two things that jump out. First of all, the 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 body type at that position has changed. When I when I was a kid, and I think back to some of the great tight ends of, of, of that day, Dave Casper of the Raiders and Russ Francis of New England, uh, they, but they were bigger, sort of slower guys uh, who were predominantly blockers and uh, and you know they, they they you could use them up the seam a little bit but but they were not athletes like on par at all with the, with the guys that you get at the position today i mean you're getting 6 foot 5 255 pound guys who can really run and they're they're just uh the way that the game has spread out with offenses now moving more towards 11 personnel three wide receivers and a tight end and being able to flex those tight ends out into the slot and get them matched up on safeties or outside linebackers, the speed and quickness with which they have combined with the size makes those guys automatic mismatches. And then you factor in the way that the officiating has changed and the way that it's become almost impossible now to, to contact those guys. I mean, you, you get a, you get a big tight end like that, a release beyond five yards down the field. And then it becomes almost impossible to defend that individual if you can't put your hands on them. So offenses really are looking for ways to be versatile with the pieces that they have on the field. And if you can get a guy uh, like a Pat Fryermuth who can put his hand in the ground and block down, and then on the very next snap, you can split him out wide and match him up against the safety and not have to change personnel and give the defense the opportunity to do the same thing, you've got a huge advantage. So offenses, I think, have realized that the tight end is one of the most versatile chess pieces in this matchup with defenses now. So let's let's compare this, this modern generation of tight end, and let's compare it to the early 2000s. When I think back to that era, which isn't as long ago as like Dave Casper that you brought up, uh, you talk about Antonio Gates. You talk about Tony Gonzalez. You talk about Jason Witten, Heath Miller. Uh, you bring up, I'm trying to think of some other tight ends that were very prominent back then. Uh, you can go to Todd Heap in Baltimore as another one. What's the difference, though, between those guys of that generation, which they were very good players. I mean, Antonio Gates put up some crazy numbers for tight ends, and so, does, uh, so did Tony Gonzalez, both with the Chiefs and the Falcons. What's the difference, in your opinion, as a coach, between those players and the current crop of tight ends? I think two things. One, uh, the, the emphasis on getting the ball out of quarterback's hands fast so quickly these days has made that tight end so valuable because they're just so good in short space. I mean, you build like, you know, Travis Kelsey in, in those underneath zones is almost impossible to cover because again, man, he's just big and physical enough to be able to shrug guys off at the line, box them out. You can throw him open, meaning like if he's covered, you can just put the ball in a spot and he's going to get it. Um, and that, and that, that wasn't the case back, you know, when you named a lot of those guys, you think the Heath Miller and the Steelers, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger was really 
a downfield passer. He was only throwing short, quick passes if he had to check the ball down. And a lot of the balls that Heath Miller caught were deep throws up the seam uh, off of play action looks. And now you're getting into five wide sets. Forget the play action. Quarterbacks are just catching the ball and releasing it in under two seconds. And those tight ends are quick enough to create space for themselves in the underneath zones. Uh, and again, you know, like, I mean, teams are so terrified now of pass interference calls that uh, that it's gotten harder for them to sustain man coverage without help on the outside. So you help on the outside. And now your tight ends are one on one in the slot. So I think that the nature of the way the way the passing game has evolved has made these guys more valuable. OK, real quick, before we go to our next topic, did you see the officiating in that uh, Sunday night game between the Packers oh and I, Chiefs? I was te- I was tempted <laughs> to bring it up. But I thought we, we might go down the rabbit hole again. Oh, I'm telling you. But man. you're right. How, how do you I mean, uh, well, one comment. All right. I, I know. I know you love when I go off on this, but uh, you how do you have how do you have a a, a roughing or or a personal foul for hitting a quarterback while he's still in bounds running with the football? I mean that that was mind boggling yeah. to me. Hey, obviously you know as Steeler fans we they, they play against Lamar Jackson twice a year typically, and we've seen Lamar Jackson you know look like he's going out of bounds and then stay in bounds for another five or six yards and before he goes out. Well, if he's going to do that, you tattoo him every time. But guess what? You're going to draw a fifteen yard pet flag. You can't touch him. You cannot touch them. And so even if you shoved them, they would throw the flag. It's a lose-lose situation. We've said it before. I'm not going to go down a, uh, on a tangent here, but it's impossible to play defense anymore in the NFL. Yeah, It's impossible. Absolutely. I don't know how you could do it. No idea. All right, let's go to the last topic, something we rarely talk about on the NFL Whip Round. Why? Because it's not the National Football League. It's actually about college football and the playoff selection committee when they chose Michigan, Washington, Texas and Alabama for the 14 playoff. They excluded the undefeated ACC championship, Florida state and the two time defending champion, Georgia, who has one loss. Did they get it right? In your opinion? What do you think? Coach? Huh. Uh, in my opinion, they had no choice, but to get it wrong because they set themselves up for failure because the moment that you decided that you would have five power conferences, but only four playoff uh, selections, you set yourself up for failure. And it's amazing they went as long as they did without this type of a dilemma where where you really had – you were going to contradict your own logic because there's two ways to look at it, right? It's either you prove it on the field, which Florida State did by going 13-0 and 0 and, and playing a challenging non-conference schedule. They, they blow out LSU on the road. I, uh, I mean, that's that's an impressive win. Uh, and then, and then, and they win their conference championship. Those are two huge points of emphasis of that committee, right? The play on the field matters. Well, and then they take that and they throw that out the window, but then they, if you want to make the argument that, well, we, we included the best teams, well, you excluded maybe the best team in Georgia. I mean, like if, if, if people don't think Georgia's one of the four best teams, they haven't watched any college football. I mean, they, they won 29 games in a row and then they lost to Alabama, a huge rival and a nail biter. And suddenly they're not one of the best four teams. So I just think that they had an impossible task. However, whoever they chose, uh, there was going to be people rightfully slated. And it's their own fault for, you know, creating a four-team playoff chosen by a committee. I I always want the best matchup. I I really don't care how they slice it. I want the best matchups because I'm not a college football guy. I I just don't have time. That's plain and simple. I just don't have time. I've spent so much time on the Steelers in the National Football League. I just don't have time. 
with five little kids to add another realm into my football world. So I will watch the playoffs. I will watch some of these bowl games because I, it piques my interest. I don't want to see another situation like last time, last year where yes, TCU made it to the national title game, but then got their doors blown off. That's not entertaining. That's not fun. I remember when Notre Dame would always would get in and Alabama would just make them look foolish on a national stage. Cause they're just not up to snuff. I agree. I think that, you know, if they're looking for the best matchups. I understand why Florida state didn't get in because I don't know about their quarterback situation. I know they lost their starting quarterback. No, you can't penalize a, an organization or I guess you call it an organization or a school university because of an injury to a player, especially when they go out and still win their conference uh, championship. But I don't think that's going to be one of the best matchups having Georgia not in, I think really hurts. And that's probably because they're saying we can't have two SEC schools in the top four. I say, why not? Hell, I think Ohio State would make for a good game. Even if they got in there, what did they lose? One game to Michigan and they're yeah, out? One drive, man. They, you yeah. know, they score on that final drive. They're in Michigan's out. It's crazy. And a lot of people aren't even saying like, oh my gosh, Ohio State didn't even have a, have a prayer because they lost one game. It's the same thing with Georgia. So this is what they get. That's what I, this is what you get. Like you said, when you have the five power conferences and only four openings, if they would make it three, like six, you'd be fine. You could give two a buy and have a play in round and all that stuff. You'd be fine. Aren't they going to go to eight soon? Anyways, they're going to 12 next year, which, ah, well, which that doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I thought eight was the optimum number. You got five power conferences and that gives you three at large bids you can get one of those non-power five schools in there and then and then you could get a Georgia and an Ohio State in. And, you know, it sounds like a great number. I don't know. Twelve's a little bulky for me. The thing that bothers yeah. me is it's 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 chosen by a committee and and it's it really I don't want to call it a popularity contest, but they're doing it for for television, too. Like like you can't tell me that like if Deion Sanders was the head coach of Florida State, that they wouldn't get in. There's a hundred percent chance. That if yeah. Dion was at, at Florida State, they would put him in. So there's all these non-football considerations. There's all these things that, again, man, get get thrown into the mix by people who, I don't know, how much do these guys know football? My God, Condoleezza Rice, the former Secretary of, of State, <laughs> was on the football committee for a long time, the college selection committee. What the hell is she doing on the college selection committee? I don't I, it, it doesn't make sense. So Well, and, and even if they're going for television, you would want the best matchups. And I'm sorry, is Washington one of those teams? They're not going to have the draw of a Georgia. They're not going to have the draw of an Ohio State either. So you can say what you want about them winning and beating Oregon twice and the Pac-12, which is going to be debunked next year anyways. All this stuff that's happened, if you want the best matchups, this isn't it, in my opinion. So if you're doing it for television, I get the Deion Sanders. Coach Prime would be there because he's entertaining. He's going to have people talking about him, love him, hate him, whatever. You're going to be talking about him. Washington's not that team. In Texas, didn't they lose to Oklahoma earlier this year? Yeah, but they beat Alabama. So if you put in Alabama, you can't, you can't See, exclude this is where, Texas. This is, it's ridiculous. Exactly. It's this ridiculous. Is what, they painted themselves into a corner. Correct. This is what you get. This yep. is what you get. And by the way, college sports anymore – with the the transfer portal and all that stuff, it's become even more difficult to follow, in my opinion. Do you agree, Coach? Well, it's funny, you know. You, I, I texted you before we came on because I was a little bit late because I was talking to a college coach on the phone who's recruiting one of our players, and and they've been back and forth on him for a long, long time, and they finally they made him an offer tonight, which was wonderful. 
but they they did it only after they kind of figured out what was going on with their transfers. They they essentially had to like uh, navigate the transfer issues before they could even get to the high school kids, which is such a shame because it's really reducing opportunities for a lot of these high school guys. I mean, you're you're seeing colleges say, hey, I'd rather take a chance on a 20-year-old who already uh, has acclimated to college football than a 17-year-old who's sitting in a high school you know, biology class right now and who there's a lot of variables about how he's going to adjust to college life. It's just, it's, it's gotten a lot harder as a high school coach for me to advise some of these young guys about what to do in regard to college, unless you're one of those elite guys that's getting a host of power five offers and navigating the, the landscape now has become incredibly difficult because it's difficult for college coaches with guys coming and going. Ohio state's quarterback entered the transfer portal uh, yesterday. And I mean, because evidently, because what, what you're hearing is that Ohio state's going after another quarterback. They think that they can, it's like free agency, man. Yeah. I, I, that's what I don't like. I mean, I, I used to love the fact that if a quarterback was at a college, you were going to have him for the three to four years before he went to the NFL. And even when they were downtimes, I mean, Peyton Manning stayed at Tennessee. You know, he could have left. I'm sure if there was a transfer porter at portal after his first two seasons there, I don't know. Again, that's another, uh, that's another talking point for another day, but let's finish this up with our player profile. Like we always do every, every week on Tuesday for the NFL whip around. And this time it is a quarterback in the NFC North green Bay Packers quarterback, Jordan love coach. What do you want to say about Mr. The love boat as I call him. <laughs> Yeah, and they were last night. Green Bay, or, or on, on Sunday night football, Green Bay ran a uh, you know the, the the Eagles quarterback sneak play, and they they called it the Love Shove, which I thought was was pretty good. <laughs> um, Jordan Love, yeah, interesting, right? Because he gets drafted a couple years ago out out of UCLA, and he comes to the Packers, and Aaron Rodgers is is firmly entrenched there, and uh, and he's kind of given the cold shoulder in in a in a similar way that Rodgers was when when Brett Favre was was you know, playing out his final days in Green Bay. And they always say that you never want to succeed the legend. And it, it looked there for a little bit early on in the season, like Jordan Love was just not ready for prime time. It, that uh, he just, he made some big mistakes some big interceptions. The Packers didn't get off to a great start. Uh, there was just a lot of talk about him not necessarily being the guy. And when you're following when you're part of a legacy that the, the 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 two guys who preceded you are Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, there's a lot to live up to. But quietly, I mean, Jordan Love's really turned it around. I mean, his last three games, he's thrown for almost 900 yards. He's got eight touchdowns and no interceptions. The Packers have rallied back to six and six if the playoffs started today. They'd be in. And he's playing some great football. And I was really impressed with him on Sunday night. He outplayed Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he, very poised. Uh, just seemed to have a really good handle for what he's doing. And the Green Bay fans loved him. Uh, so, yeah, man, I mean, I, it's nice to see a guy start to turn the narrative around like he's doing. Yeah, I, I am a firm believer in arm talent. And some people say, well, what does that mean? Like, it, it's not tangible. It's You see it. I'll give you some other names of quarterbacks that have really good arm talent. Like, you see Will Levis throw the ball. Like, the dude's got some arm talent. Whether he has the intangibles between the ears, that's neither here nor there. Uh, C.J. Stroud has some damn good arm talent. Patrick Mahomes might be the be have the best arm talent I've seen in a really long time when it comes to a quarterback. Jordan Love's got some good arm talent, too. I, I really like watching him throw the ball. We saw him in, when he played the Steelers at Acrisure Stadium. That was a game that came down to the wire. Some of these throws these guys make, I mean, Coach, it's, it's insane. 
They're throwing sidearm. I mean, the the arm angles, the way they change their arm slot and the delivery, it's almost like a pitcher. It's really fun to watch. I love watching those guys throw. Sometimes I wish the Steelers quarterback had a little bit more arm talent, but still. <laughs> do, you, do you see what I see, or is it, am I just nuts, the arm talent thing? Oh, no. Oh, no. Arm talent is not an issue for a lot of the guys coming into the league right now. It's it's everything else. It's it's yeah. the reading, the defense, and the processing, and the accuracy, and all those types of things. And sometimes it takes that, you know, sometimes those guys figure it out. Josh Allen's a great example. Tremendous yeah. arm talent there. And uh, for the most part, he's now figured out the mental part of the game. It looks like Jordan Love's starting to do that a little bit himself. Absolutely. It's going to be fun to watch. And, hey, the Packers – a lot of people were doubting their motives when they drafted him in the first round. A lot of people were wondering, is this really the secession plan after Aaron Rodgers? Well, I don't think they have that solidified answer just yet. I think they're feeling a lot better about themselves than they were just a few weeks ago. So good player profile there, Coach. Hey, what, what's what's on the call sheet this week? I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, the call sheet, we're going to do a, a little deeper dive on that Philly-San Francisco game, look a little bit at uh, what makes that San Francisco offense so, so good. Uh, talking a little bit about, about metrics this week too, and how heavily reliant coaches are on mm-hmm. metrics for uh, some of their play calling and some of their scouting. Um, so, and then we're gonna do a for Steelers fans do a, a a call sheet breakdown on the the turning point in that in that ugly loss on Sunday to the Cardinals uh, and where it all went wrong for the Steelers. Why? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. It's okay, Coach. So, where, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, at KT Smith FFSN. If you haven't followed him yet, make sure you do it. If you want to hear our content on the Steel Curtain Network about the Pittsburgh Steelers, wherever you get your podcast, search Steelers, you'll find us. We're right there in the top four and also steelcurtainnetwork.com. And I will say this make sure you check out fansforsports.com. That website is young, it is growing. Some really great content there on the main page. You'll see some of, the, some of that from Coach KT Smith here. I'm sure you've already seen it, but more coming uh it's it's really an up-and-coming day i'm looking forward to that so check that out in the meantime coach thanks for your time we'll talk next tuesday take it easy why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with royal caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in north america you don't just go for a road trip you atv and zip line through the jungle You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.